What would you do if somebody saved your life? How would you live the rest of your life trying to make it up to that person that saved you? That's what we're talking about today as we enter into this week's installment of the Tower Hill Podcast. Here we go on the road. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast of Tower Hill Church, a church for all generations. This is Pastor Jason. Hope that you're having a great day wherever you're listening to us and hope that you are getting a lot out of this sermon series. If you are just tuning in now, you can always go back and listen to the last two. They're always available on our podcast or on towerhillchurch.org. I was thinking about um, this series a lot uh, over the last couple of weeks because really it is a gospel 101 but it's more than that. It's also 201 and 301. It is, uh, what does the gospel mean and why does it matter for my life here and now? Because I think it does. I think sometimes we don't understand how theological ideas land in our everyday life because we don't usually talk like that. We don't usually talk in a theological language. So what does it look like to live out what we believe in a language that we all can understand. This is the pursuit of my life and what I think should be the pursuit of the local church. In fact, if you look at the very first gift on the day of Pentecost, what was that gift? It was the gift of translation, translating the wonders of God into the language of the people. That is our job. That is why churches exist so that we can share the gospel in a way that people can understand. So part of it is, how do I understand the gospel myself? And that's what this series is really about. We're using uh, the Roman road, as it's known. We're using Paul's letter to the Romans as a framework for understanding the gospel story and what it means. So I hope it's been really helpful to you. Again, uh, before we get into the sermon this week, just a couple of things First, remember, we're very soon going to be launching information about our Facebook group uh, coming up for the season of Lent. I'm going to do a 40-day devotional on the Sermon on the Mount, a video devotional. It's going to be about three to five minutes a day, and it's a way for all of us to take a 40-day challenge and commit to spending time with God. So again, more information on that is coming. I just want want to tease that so that we're ready to go when the time comes. And then also, uh, there's lots of opportunities to get plugged in here at Tower Hill. Um, It's great to be able to come and to worship God, but real life change happens when you get to start doing life with other Christians. And so we have opportunities to do that. You could look on our website under groups. Um, You could also, we have some short-term studies coming up. I know that there's a women's study that is just starting this week. So uh, hop online, find a place where you can jump in and just do it. Just do it. Let's make 2018 the year that we really tune in and dial in to what God wants for our lives. Well, that's it for now. Uh, Without any further ado, here is this week's installment of The Road. We are in our third week of this series called The Road, and that's what we're doing. We're taking this road that's laid out in Paul's letter to the Romans in order to understand what does the gospel mean What does it really mean? What does it mean that Jesus did on the cross and how does that impact my everyday life? As we go into 2018, that's why we're starting with this series. We want to start with the gospel. Just straight up, straight scotch. 
Here's the gospel. Here's what it means. So that from there, we can see how that impacts our life. And, as, and this is all part of like really owning your spiritual formation. Owning the fact that, that it's not just I'm sitting on my couch. I'm like, all right, God, just teach me everything. If you're real, do, you know, zap me with knowledge. You know, like we want to be like the matrix and he just like links us up and we know everything. And that's just not how faith works. Uh, we have to own that. We got, hey, if you want to get fed, you got to get a fork and dig in. This is about self-feeding Christians. So uh, on this road so far, we've seen our first two markers on the road. Marker number one was, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who has sinned? All. Yeah, there's no, there's no like getting out of it. There's no excuse. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3, 23. And that's where faith really starts to begin when you realize that I can't fix myself. I can't do it. No matter how much I meditate, no matter how much I study, I, I, can't, I can't perform the surgery on myself. I, there's something spiritual going on that I can't fix. Marker number two was about the remedy. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you missed it, last week we shared, it's it's like this chasm where uh, the wages of sin is death. We're stuck. We're lost without it. But there's a gift waiting for us on the other side. The gift of God, which is eternal life. And Christ Jesus is the bridge. That through faith in him, that's how we get from death to life. It's all about the fact that what Jesus did on the cross changed everything for us. I was thinking about this uh, this week in the strangest of places, uh, the ER room. So if you ever had an ER visit, by the way, uh, I'm fine. This is a story about me going to the ER last week. Everything's fine. But uh, I... Uh, for many of you know that I have uh, a predisposition for skin cancer. So it's, it's a genetic thing. I go every six months to get checked. Occasionally I have moles removed. I had one removed on my scalp, which is a real bummer. Try not to let that happen. So I um, had one removed on my scalp uh, last Friday, a week ago. And uh, anyway, later that night, all of a sudden I start bleeding from the head. Very scary situation when you start bleeding from the head. So I go into the ER, and I'm holding my head like this. And I come into the ER, and, you know, it's as if they, it's just, you know, everyday casual. You know, they're like, first of all, they ask me, how are you doing? <laughs> really? How am I doing? Uh, and then I kind of made a joke out of it because I was just so like, really? I said, I'm fine. I'm just bleeding from the head. Nothing, not a smile, not, I mean, nothing. And then the next response was, um, would you like some gauze? Sure. They hand me this stack of gauze and just like looked at me and I put it in the head. They're like, okay, go ahead and have a seat. I'm like, why is nobody alarmed that I'm bleeding from the head? Like, what have you had to have seen today to think this is no big deal? So again, I'm bleeding in, from the head in the in the ER, and I'm just like waiting and waiting. But it, I felt like, I remember the movie Beetlejuice, when everybody's in the, in the waiting room, you know, I could have a shark attached to my leg. And they wouldn't care. They're just like, next, you know, next one up. It's like you're at the deli counter. 
So then they, they bring me over to, <laughs> they, they, the ER was really full. So they bring me over, I had waited like an hour. They bring me to the pediatric ER, <laughs> which is so much more fun. You know, it's a lot more cheerful because they, they had room in there. But I felt ridiculous because I get in there and like my feet are hanging off the edge of the bed because the bed's too small. And I, I'm just feeling really done uh, the whole time, you know, like this. So uh, the nurse comes in and, of course, an hour and a half later, she's like, well, it's not bleeding. Thanks, you know. Uh, but I was concerned, had any of the stitches, you know, popped or something. And she looks at it and apparently everything looked great. And it, it was some kind of dark magic made my head bleed. I don't I don't know what it was. Like, they, they didn't know what it was. They're like, everything looks good. And the doctor came, and he's like, um, I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of dried blood on there, and it's all, it's all you know, dried up. And he's like, but don't, don't mess with it, because that's how it's going to heal the wound. And then I had this, like, gospel moment. This is what it means that Jesus did on the cross. His blood covers over my wound of sin and I'm healed. You know, the word atonement for the forgiveness of sins, that word literally means to cover over. That when it comes to my spiritual self, when it comes to my soul, I can't cover over my own sins. I need someone else to do it for me. I need the blood of Jesus to cover over my sins. And when that happens, everything is different. Everything changes forever. Because his blood heals me. (laughs) Who would have thought the ER where I thought about Jesus and atonement? So what does that mean that his blood covers over our sins? Well, that's That's the way of understanding justification. It's a big theological word that you see in Paul's writing all the time. Justification. To justify. To make right. There's a little trick that you can learn about the word justification. That the Lord sees us just as if we never sinned. Justification. It's actually even more powerful than that. He he saw that we sinned, but he forgives us because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Justification. So now let's dive into Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That may not even be the most shocking part of the gospel. Here to me is even more shocking than that. Verse 2, or excuse me, verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. I know different times in my life, maybe you've felt this too. I'm not going to go back to church until I feel like I got my act together. That's kind of like, you know, I'm not going to get married until I get my act together. I'm not going to have that other kid until I get my act together. You soon discover that you never have your act together. At least I don't. Somehow, we, we pre-decide 
that we're not good enough to come as we are to Jesus. We have to come as some newer, better version of ourselves first, which is the lie. Christ died for the ungodly. There, were, there are three categories of people, according to uh, the Jewish mind at the time of Paul. Three categories of people. And you'll read this in the Talmud, which the Talmud are the rabbinical writings based on the 613 commandments you're supposed to keep from the Old Testament. So in the Talmud are a bunch of rabbis explaining how you're supposed to obey all of the Old Testament law. And you see this in the Talmud. There are three categories of people. Um, Go ahead to the next slide. The first is the righteous. The righteous. These are the people who follow the obligations of the law. And and they're about as heartfelt as it sounds. They meet the obligations of the law. This is is what the Pharisees would have been. Right? It wasn't about their heart. It was about following the letter. Those are considered the righteous people, all right? The people who are meeting the expectations of the law. The next category are the pious or the good. These are people who are meeting the expectations of the law, but go above and beyond that with their heart. They show compassion, especially for the poor. So these would be the people who they're uh, obeying their obligation to the law, and then they help out the poor. For example, um, Back then, uh, it was customary to pay, you were expected to pay a temple tax. If you were poor, you obviously couldn't afford that. So there were some generous people who would pay the temple tax on their behalf. That would be considered a good person, a righteous, or excuse me, a pious person. And then the third category, of course, is the ungodly or the sinner, one who does not belong to God. Basically, any non-Jewish person in the world. Why? Because you weren't living under those commandments. You weren't living over that, under that covenant. So you were considered to be a sinner. It like, was not for you. <laughs> you know, interestingly, this, this whole category uh, came from an interpretation, a rabbinic interpretation over nail clippings. Who would have thought? When I followed this rabbit trail, I was like, what? What is this? But apparently... Uh, it was believed at that time that nail clippings were uh, like impure. So if you clip them and a pregnant woman, I'm not making this up, and a pregnant woman walked on them, it could somehow damage the pregnancy or, or cause her harm. So what they would say is a righteous person would bury the nail clippings so that they, the woman couldn't walk on them. The pious person, though, would burn them. So there was no chance of them being unearthed. Right? The good person would completely get rid of them. And the ungodly person would be like my college roommate and just leave them out all of the ground. <laughs> Isn't that weird, though? I found that very strange. But anyway, those are the three categories. That had nothing to do with the sermon. That's just a little fun fact. The three categories, three categories of people. And it said that Christ died for the ungodly. The least, the last, the lost. Let's go back. Verse 7. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, one who's just following the obligation of the law, right? So back then it would have been the Pharisees 
Very rarely would someone die for a Pharisee. They weren't exactly beloved by the people. Imagine you're going about your everyday life and someone's pointing out everything you do wrong. You probably have someone like that in your life, but let's say you had a whole bunch of them. They, they were afraid of the Pharisees. So very rarely would somebody die for a righteous person, he continues, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. That generous person, the, the beloved person, the town hero. But God, and here it is, here's the gospel. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the good news of the gospel. The gospel isn't a wait till you get your act together and then come to me and I'll forgive you. No, your act will never be together. I'm going to forgive you before you even knew you needed forgiveness. The good news of the gospel is that it's not dependent on our abilities to be faithful, to obey the law. How much money we give to our church, how many times we attend. It's about what God has done before we ever knew we needed anything done for us. This week I was doing what most pastors do. I was on Twitter. <laughs> and a very well-known mega church uh, from North Carolina, their pastor, it's pretty controversial. I'm not going to say because I'm not into slamming other pastors. This is, I slam what he said. On Twitter he said this. Next slide. If you want a change of heart... You must first change your habits. And you know, I'm scrolling through and I'm thinking about that. And and then I stopped and I just kind of set the phone down and I pondered that for a minute. If you want a change of heart, you must first change your habits. The more I thought, I mean, it sounds like great wisdom at first. But then I thought, you know what that sounds like? It sounds like a Pharisee. It sounds like my heart being changed is dependent on me. Well, if I get my habits right, my heart's going to change. That's not the gospel. And yet so many of us have fallen into the trap of believing that. That if it's because of what I do that God's going to love me more. Or that I'm going to be saved Or that something's going to go, if I pray hard enough, we're going to sell the house. If I do this enough, if I'm faithful enough, then God's going to show up and he's going to bless our lives. That's not it at all. That is so anti-gospel. It's ridiculous. A better tweet would have been this. If you want to change your habits, God must first change your heart. It's a heart transplant that we need. We need God to change us. From the inside out. That's something only he can do. And you know what that leads to? Different habits. It's kind of like DNA. DNA turns into or grows into a specific living organism. Right? You can't can't start with the DNA of a tomato and get a human being. And vice versa. I mean, listen, if I've learned anything from Jurassic Park, I've learned that much. (laughs) 
We're not going to grow into the people of God as followers of Jesus Christ, redeemed, covered by his blood, living in the way of grace fully until we have a change of DNA. In other words, Jesus must supply us with new DNA. We need the DNA of Jesus Christ, so to speak. We need him to change our heart. Give us a heart for Jesus. He needs to change our heart. That's going to change our life. Verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were, were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? In other words, it's all because of what he did. If we have any hope of being saved and having life everlasting, it's because of what Jesus did on the cross. That is the basis that we all have to have hope in the resurrection. It's because of Jesus. This is the gospel. This is gospel 101, 201, and 301. This is the whole thing. So our third marker on this road through Romans is Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I saw this story on CBS this week. It's a really awesome story about this guy who needed a kidney. Did you see this story on the news? He needed a kidney. Uh, He was having kidney failure. And he went with his family to Disney. And he had a t-shirt made that he wore that said, need a kidney. Blood type O positive. And a number. Somebody took a picture of it and posted it on social media. Somebody responded and donated him a kidney. Can you believe that? Could you imagine the least, I mean, somebody doesn't know you. It feels so random, right? Somebody actually cared enough to save your life. And they're asking, they had both of them together, the guy getting the kidney and the donor. They're together and they're asking the guy getting the kidney. They're like, how do you feel about him? And what he's like, really? These questions. How do I feel? You know, and the guy's like, I could never express how grateful I am in my whole life. It's changed because of him. And I hope that we remain friends. And I just want to do anything I can to help repay him back the rest of my life. How would you feel if somebody showed you that kind of love? It would change the rest of your life. What about for Jesus? who didn't just give a kidney, who saved our life and our soul forever before we even knew that we needed saving. You see, this is the Christian faith. It's not just a bunch of rules or or steps that I must take to please God. It's about the fact that before I could even take my first steps, God laid down his life for me out of his pleasure. And he asked me to come and to follow, to live a life of faith, to respond to his amazing grace so that the whole rest of my life, I'm trying to say thank you for what he's done for me. 
If you want to change your life, God must first change your heart. Some of you may be wondering, you know, how do I do that? I got a real simple way of saying that. And it's the following steps of prayer. Go ahead to the next slide. This is the Christian prayer for every single human being ever. Confess. Just like our road, our Roman road. Confess. Say, God, I fall short of your glory. I know it. I need forgiveness. And I can't forgive myself. Then repent. What does repent mean? It's me saying you're sorry and stop doing whatever you're doing. Right? It's a, I repent from that way of living. I don't want to be like that anymore. And so I surrender my life to you. I believe you forgive my sins. You, I believe you are who said you are, and I want to follow. And if you pray that, and incidentally, even if you've been following Jesus your whole life, you can pray that every day. But if you've never prayed that, I want to encourage you, reach out to me this week. My email address is in the bulletin. It's online. Jason at towerhillchurch.org. Can't be any easier. Reach out to me. I'd love to talk with you about it. This is what it's all about. This is the gospel. This is the road that Jesus calls us to walk.